Before we get started, I just wanted to offer a quick thank you to all those who have supported the Catechism in a Year or the Bible in a Year podcast. We hear stories every day about how those shows have transformed people's lives. And because of your prayers and financial gifts, you are a significant part of that. You might ask a question, though. The question is, what does Ascension do with these financial gifts? Great question. The answer is, we make authentically Catholic podcasts and videos and other digital content to help people know the Catholic faith and grow closer to God every day. And we do it all for free. If you found this podcast to be helpful in your life and would like to help us continue making free Catholic content we can post online, please consider making a financial contribution, an ongoing financial contribution by going to ascensionpress.com slash support. That's ascensionpress.com slash support. Thank you and God bless. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and you're listening to the Catechism in a Year podcast, where we encounter God's plan of your goodness for us, revealed in Scripture, and passed down through the tradition of the Catholic faith. The Catechism in a Year is brought to you by Ascension. In 365 days, we'll read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, discovering our identity in God's family as we journey together toward our heavenly home. It is day 92. We're reading paragraphs 645 to 650. As always, I am using the Ascension edition of the Catechism, which includes the Foundations of Faith approach, but you can follow it along with any recent version of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can also download your own Catechism in a Year reading plan by visiting ascensionpress.com slash C-I-Y. And also, you can click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily updates and daily notifications. As I said, today is day 92, reading paragraphs 645 to 650. How incredible is this? We yesterday talked about the fact that the resurrection is an historical and transcendent event, right? The empty tomb points to the reality of the resurrection above everything else. The appearance of the risen Christ, the glorious and risen Christ to the apostles, to Mary Magdalene and the holy women, to Peter and the 12, to the over 500 people appearing to St. Paul on the road to Damascus. All of those point to the reality that Jesus Christ truly, truly is risen, a body and soul, the whole thing, right? All of him is risen from the dead. Now, Today, we're going to take a next kind of couple steps. And the question is going to be, what is the condition of the risen Christ's humanity? Like in that sense of, okay, so is Jesus simply resuscitated? You know, we have examples, three examples, at least in scripture, where Jesus raised someone from the dead, right? Jairus's daughter, that 12-year-old girl he raised from the dead, the son of the widow of Naim, he raised him from the dead, and even Lazarus, right? The brother of Martha and Mary. All three of those people, Jesus raised from the dead, in those cases, though, they were just brought back to normal human existence. When Jesus was resurrected, he had a different quality, right? A different character, a different condition of his risen humanity that was distinct, very distinct, in fact, from merely, I guess, quote unquote, merely being resuscitated like those others who were brought back to life. The next thing is that the resurrection is a transcendent event. Now, I think this is really, really remarkable. One of the things the catechism highlights that we're going to hear about today is that no one was an eyewitness to the resurrection. No evangelist describes it, right? None of the gospels talk about, and here's what happened when Jesus went from death to life. They did see his, his resurrected body. They did see the empty tomb, but it's so, so amazing. It says still, it, this is paragraph 647. Still, it remains at the very heart of the mystery of faith that the resurrection is something that transcends and surpasses history. And this is why the risen Christ does not reveal himself to the world, but to his disciples. And that, that's, again, it's remarkable because I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, wait a second, Jesus risen from the dead. He could have walked up to Pilate and said, hey, you know, I'm alive. 
Why did he not do this? Well, it's one of the mysteries, but this is why the risen Christ does not reveal himself to the world, but to his disciples, that the mystery of faith, the mystery of the resurrection is something that transcends and surpasses history. And also we're going to talk about the fact that in paragraphs 648, 649, and 650, that the resurrection of Jesus is the work of the Holy Trinity, which is so good. Now, no, you know this, right? You all know that when one person of the Trinity acts, they all act. When one person of the Trinity is present, they are all present. And so clearly, of course, it makes sense that yes, Jesus would rise from the dead by virtue of his own power, but also that the Father's power raised up Christ's son and that the spirit of God dwelling in us is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We recognize this. So the resurrection is the work of the Holy Trinity, which I think is just, <laughs> part of me says, which is good to know. And I think it's <laughs> kind of good to know. Uh, so today we're looking at the condition of Christ's risen humanity, the resurrection as a transcendent event, and the fact that the resurrection is the work of the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as we enter into this time of reflection, time of learning, let's enter into a, a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory. Thank you so much for bringing us to this moment. Thank you for bringing us to this day, day 92. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for the spirit that you've given to us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that dwells in us now. We ask that you help us to be cooperative, to be attentive to be receptive to your Holy Spirit so that in all things we can do your will, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As I said, it is day 92. We are reading paragraphs 645 to 650. The Condition of Christ's Risen Humanity By means of touch and the sharing of a meal, the risen Jesus establishes direct contact with his disciples. He invites them in this way to recognize that he is not a ghost and above all, to verify that the risen body in which he appears to them is the same body that had been tortured and crucified, for it still bears the traces of his passion. Yet at the same time, this authentic, real body possesses the new properties of a glorious body, not limited by space and time, but able to be present how and when he wills. For Christ's humanity can no longer be confined to earth, and belongs henceforth only to the Father's divine realm. For this reason, too, the risen Jesus enjoys the sovereign freedom of appearing as he wishes, in the guise of a gardener or in other forms familiar to his disciples, precisely to awaken their faith. Christ's resurrection was not a return to earthly life, as was the case with the raisings from the dead that he had performed before Easter, Jairus' daughter, the young man of Naim, Lazarus. These actions were miraculous events, but the persons miraculously raised returned by Jesus' power to ordinary earthly life. At some particular moment, they would die again. Christ's resurrection is essentially different. In his risen body, he passes from the state of death to another life beyond time and space. At Jesus' resurrection, his body is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He shares the divine life in his glorious state so that St. Paul can say that Christ is the man of heaven. The Resurrection as Transcendent Event O truly blessed night, sings the exultant of the Easter Vigil, which alone deserved to know the time and the hour when Christ rose from the realm of the dead. But no one was an eyewitness to Christ's resurrection, and no evangelist describes it. No one can say how it came about physically. Still less was its innermost essence, his passing over to another life, perceptible to the senses. Although the resurrection was an historical event that could be verified by the sign of the empty tomb and by the reality of the apostles' encounters with the risen Christ— Still, 
It remains at the very heart of the mystery of faith as something that transcends and surpasses history. This is why the risen Christ does not reveal himself to the world, but to his disciples, to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. The Resurrection, a work of the Holy Trinity. Christ's resurrection is an object of faith in that it is a transcendent intervention of God himself in creation and history. In it, the three divine persons act together as one and manifest their own proper characteristics. The Father's power raised up Christ his Son, and by doing so, perfectly introduced his Son's humanity, including his body, into the Trinity. Jesus is conclusively revealed as Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. St. Paul insists on the manifestation of God's power through the working of the Spirit who gave life to Jesus' dead humanity and called it the glorious state of lordship. As for the Son, he effects his own resurrection by virtue of his divine power. Jesus announces that the Son of Man will have to suffer much, die, and then rise. Elsewhere, he affirms explicitly, I laid down my life that I may take it again. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. The fathers contemplate the resurrection from the perspective of the divine person of Christ who remained united to his soul and body even when these were separated from each other by death. St. Gregory of Nyssa stated, By the unity of the divine nature, which remains present in each of the two components of man, these are reunited. For as death is produced by the separation of the human components, so resurrection is achieved by the union of the two. There we go. We have day 92, paragraphs 645 to 650. Uh, this is remarkable. I just Let's go back. Conditions of Christ's risen humanity. Paragraph 645. By means of touch and the sharing of a meal, the risen Jesus establishes direct contact with his disciples. He invites them to recognize he's not a ghost and above all to verify his risen body is the same body that had been tortured and crucified, right? He still has the marks of his passion. Now, at the same time, this is incredible. At the same time, this authentic real body possesses the new properties of a glorious body, right? So he still bears the wounds. Now, we don't have any sign that he bore wounds other than the nail marks in his feet, in his hands, and in his side. We know that the body of Jesus was lacerated by the scourging at the pillar. It was beaten and broken. And yet he holds on to these wounds, the wounds in his hands, his side, and his feet to demonstrate, we think, you know, to demonstrate this is the same body. This is the same body that was tortured and crucified at the same time fully, not just restored, not just fully healed, exalted, right? The new properties of a glorious body. And it says here in paragraph 645, what that means, not limited by space and time, but able to be present how and when he wills. We know that here's the upper room. The doors are locked for fear. And Jesus appears in a locked room. He can appear when and where he wills. We have Jesus walking on the way to Emmaus with the two disciples. And at one point he disappears from their sight and quickly appears in Jerusalem. We recognize that Jesus has these new properties, the new properties of his glorified and glorious body, which is, I love this, for this reason, the risen Jesus enjoys the sovereign freedom of appearing as he wishes. So even under the guise of the gardener or some other form familiar to his disciples, it's really remarkable. One thing, we highlighted this in the intro, but paragraph 646 emphasizes the fact that Christ's resurrection was not a return to earthly life, right? We have the Jairus' daughter. We have the young man from Nain. We have Lazarus. Those three people, they were essentially, you might say, resuscitated, right? So they 
went back to normal, ordinary human existence. They would die again. They would get sick again. The risen, glorious body of Jesus will never die, will never get sick. And this is the last sentence in paragraph 646. At Jesus' resurrection, his body is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He shares the divine life in his glorious state so that St. Paul can say that Christ is the man of heaven, that he, in his risen body, he passes from the state of death to another life beyond time and space which is, again, really incredible. When it comes to the last three paragraphs, 648 to 650, that's highlighted the resurrection, a work of the Holy Trinity. This is, in the resurrection, the three divine persons act together as one. It says here, the Father's power raised up Christ his Son. Guys, this is incredible. It says, the Father's power raised up Christ his Son, and by doing so, perfectly introduced his son's humanity, including his body, into the Trinity. I don't know if you caught that sentence the first time we walked through it. Once again, the father's power raised up Christ his son, and by doing so, perfectly introduced his son's humanity, including his body, into the Trinity. That what God has done in this mysterious, remarkable, like unspeakable, like I have no idea. I have no idea what this means. I have no idea how in the world this is the case. But the father perfectly introduced his son's humanity, including his body, into the life of the Trinity. That just think about this. You know, hmm, man, to just consider this, that Christ empties himself and takes the form of a slave, right? Christ empties himself and takes the form of humanity, takes on human nature, but then doesn't abandon it in his resurrection, doesn't abandon it, like discard humanity when he's done with it. Instead, he takes humanity to himself, uniting humanity, human nature, his own human nature, to divine nature. This is worth reflecting on. We're going to talk more about this as, as the year continues. There's some other, other moments when this pops up, but it is remarkable. One wonders, I, I just wonder, you know, we talked about the, the devil's rebellion and it seems like, well, why would the devil, why would the evil one rebel against God who just loves his creatures? Just, he's going to create human beings at some point and he's going to, he's going to, to love them in a unique way. Well, it could be the case that God had revealed to the evil one that he would do this, that he would not just become one of us, but would forever unite our human nature to his divine nature. And that act of love, that act of goodness, that act of just divine condescension, right? God coming down, not just coming down to our level, but then taking our level up to his. Maybe that's just too much. Think about that. Maybe that's just too much for this angelic being to take. Too much love, too much goodness, too much divine condescension. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, but it's remarkable. I just want to read that sentence one more time. The Father's power raised up Christ his Son, and by doing so, perfectly introduced his Son's humanity, including his body, into the Trinity. It's just remarkable. Now, at the same time, we also know that, as for the Son, paragraph 649, he affects his own resurrection by virtue of his divine power. So the father, yes, raised up Christ, but also Jesus, he has the power to lay it down, his life, and the power to take it up again. So we recognize that it's not like, well, the father raised up Jesus because Jesus wasn't able to do this on his own. It's that Jesus didn't do it on his own. Jesus is united with his father. 
The second person of the Trinity is united with the first person of the Trinity, united with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So the resurrection is a work of the entire Trinity, which again is just incredible. And last paragraph, the fathers contemplate the resurrection from the perspective of the divine person of Christ who remained united to his soul and body even when they were separated from each other by death. We talked about this for the last few days, that even after Jesus had died and his body and soul were separated, that's what death is, Jesus retained possession of his body. He retained possession of his soul. And so then in the resurrection, he reunited his body and his soul. So that's just kind of an important point to make because it highlights the reality that he truly died and that in resurrecting from the dead, he truly is alive and lives now and eternally forever, uniting his assumed humanity into divinity, which is just bonkers. And I think it's worth praying about just like even just turning to the Lord right now and recognizing that here is God in heaven who has united human nature, including a body to his divine nature in some mysterious, miraculous way. And God, thank you so much. You did not merely condescend to be one of us, but you assumed our human nature into your glorious divine nature. Amazing. Amazing. Tomorrow, we're going to talk more about the resurrection, the meaning and the saving significance of the resurrection, that yes, Jesus did this and it's part of how he endures now forever. What does this mean for us? How does this transform our lives? That is tomorrow, day 93. But today, it's an end to day 92. I am praying for you. Please pray for me. My name is Father Mike. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. God bless.